in the house of God. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? How many want me to pray that summer would come this morning? <laughs> it's, it says it's summer on the calendar, but I don't know if Chicago watches or pays attention to calendars. But how many are glad you're in church today? Amen? Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. We're going to get into the Word of God today, and I'm going to believe that you and I will never see the kingdom of God the same again or the kingdom of heaven. Today's message is the kingdom of heaven is like. Now notice this. Whenever you hear the term the kingdom of heaven, it also is the kingdom of God because who's in heaven? God. There you go. That's right. And where is God's throne room? Heaven, there you go. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. Oftentimes the authors use the kingdom of heaven more than the term kingdom of God because in the ancient times they would not want to even uh, come close to taking God's name in vain, so they wouldn't even speak it in normal conversation. So instead of referring to God, they would just say Hashem, the name, the name. That's how they would refer to him. And then when they would talk about where God was at, they would say heaven, up there in heaven, you know, referring to where God was at. Now we know God is everywhere, but they were referring to the throne with the cherub are and the angels, etc. So let's open up to Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. So glad you're here. Going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. Last week we learned about how to receive parables by letting our hearts be soft and the word of God to be planted deep in our heart. Now we're going to learn seven parables about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is going to say seven things the kingdom of heaven is like, and it's up to you and I what our hearts are like. Because if we have hard hearts, we're not going to receive it. If we have soft hearts, it's going to grow and change our lives. If we have kind of like shallow hearts, it's not going to stay very long. And then if we have weedy hearts, it's going to get choked out by the weeds. Go back and look at chapter 13, verses 1 to 23, if you want to remind yourself how to receive God's word. Let's go now into verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like, you see that? He said the kingdom of heaven is like, he's going to say that seven times in this chapter. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Going again to the parable uh, analogies of farming. A farmer puts seed in a field. Does everybody get it? Now keep going with the story. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So now we know what he was sowing, what he was planting, what he was giving to the ground was wheat. When he went to bed, someone came and planted what? Weeds. Okay, you're tracking with the story. The Bible then says in verse 26, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field, and where then did the weeds come from? So if you sowed good seed, why are there weeds? We're going to get to this in just a moment. We're going to get to some explanation here. But I can't jump ahead because Jesus doesn't yet jump ahead. Now look at verse 28. An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. 
Now notice this. Go to verse 31. He told them another parable. What just happened between verse 30 and 31? No explanation. What did we learn about this last week? You're not owed an explanation if you don't go looking for it. Do you get it? He just said his parable, and then he moves on, and he's going to tell another parable. Now, thankfully, the disciples did go on to ask him what that parable meant, but that happens later on in the story. So get this in your mind. When Jesus walked the earth, he wasn't trying to make you believe in him by forcing you to understand him. He literally spoke in parables and riddles and then would walk away and you would decide whether or not you just heard a story about farming or if you were to go follow him and say, what does it mean? You see, this is how we do discipleship in this church. We will not pursue you beyond how you want to be pursued. So our church is a church based on discipleship. We will call you up. We'll ask you if you want to do it. But if you don't want to do it, we're not going to babysit you. This is not a babysitter's club. And oftentimes people who come to this church confuse uh, being discipled with being babysat. So many times they'll say, well, this person didn't call me. This person didn't do this. Are you two years old? Are, you don't have a phone? Do you not have a thumb? Call them. What's wrong with you? Who told you that church was supposed to make it all about you, Bubba? Call the person you wanted to call you. Does everybody get that? For some reason, people think the church lets you down because they're supposed to read your mind and hunt you down and do all that for you. That's called babysitting for two-year-olds. Jesus did not babysit his disciples. Jesus said a parable that would literally make no spiritual sense to them. How do you understand this parable unless he explains it to you? You have no idea what he's talking about. He just told you a gardening story. And he walks away. He walks away, not owing a person a darn thing. And then it's up to you. Do you follow him and go, tap, 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 tap. I want this. Seek, seek, seek so I can find. Ask, ask, ask so I can have an answer. Knock, knock, knock. Or do I sit back on my couch and go, well, God wanted to give it to me. He'll come over here and tell it to me. If that church wants me to come, they'll call me up. And God says, okay, go to hell by your bad self. Go ahead. And the church says the same thing. Go to hell with your bad self. We will help you, but we will not babysit you. You have a choice to make if you want to understand the things of God. We're giving away million-dollar nuggets here. I don't have to beg people to come to this. This is the teachings of the kingdom of God. If you want it, come and get it. Otherwise, we'll give it to somebody else. None of our leaders, none of our disciple workers have time to waste on you, your poopy diapers, and an attitude that says, make it happen for me. We don't do that. This church is not about you. It's about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So get out of your pampers, get potty trained, and learn to live like an adult Christian. And we'll, we'll help your children. We'll do that for them. But you're not a child. And even for our teenagers, we have teenagers that come and their parents don't come. They come on time and some of you got your own car and you still can't get here on time. What is wrong with you? How does this young man come early on his own? 
He don't even have a car. He comes here on his own on time for Bible class, and y'all can't even get here on time. Shame on you. You don't do that on your job, come 20 minutes late. You're not going to have a job very long. So a lot of times people say, this church is not for me. They didn't do this thing right for me. Man, you, you wouldn't like hanging around Jesus. You wouldn't like hanging around Jesus because Jesus wasn't doing it for you. Jesus just told a parable, talked about stuff being planted, weeds and wheat, some of it being picked up like weeds being thrown into a fire. And he just goes on to verse 31. And that's where I have to ask you, you hungry for the things of God? Do you want to get into this word and understand it? I mean, what if I just said that to you today and said service is over, God bless you, have a good week. Would there be anybody after service that would come and tap on my door and knock on the office door there and say, uh, excuse me, pastor, I'd like to know what that meant. Could you show me that? Could you teach me that? Could you show me how to live that? Because you see, that's what Christianity is about. Even if you go back to the Garden of Eden, just think about it, perfect God, perfect garden, perfect people still gave it all away to the devil. Go back to Judas and the disciples. Judas had a perfect pastor. He was hanging around the perfect Lord and Savior, and yet he hung himself and betrayed Jesus and wanted to go right straight to hell. Don't even wait till I turn 80. I'll go to hell right now. Think about it, my friends. There is no level of perfection of word or of God or of anything that can change your will to do something. Your will belongs to you. You are the determiner of your will. Whether you like that or not, that is the gift of God. When God created us, he didn't ask us if we wanted to be created. That is true. He started this thing, thing off without our permission. And now whether you like it or not, you're already here. So there's nothing you can do about that. You're here now. Now that you and I are here, we do have a choice. The will can decide to go to the things of God, to learn the things of God, to understand them, to let them go deep in your soul, or to walk away from them. And walking away from them is walking away from them no matter what you attach to walking away from them with. You could attach the attitude, I'm angry at God, so I'm walking away. I don't understand God, so I'm walking away. God should have explained it to me better, so I'm walking away. It does not matter whatever reason you have. I love sin, and I want to walk away. It doesn't matter. I want to be Hitler and walk away. I want to be Mother Teresa and walk away and just do good deeds and think I'm going to be uh, accepted into heaven by that. It doesn't matter how you walk away. If you don't stay with the master, understand what he's saying, any excuse that leads you to walk away equals hell. Walking away equals hell. That's what hell is. Hell is a place for those who don't want God. It's, it, and I don't want God because he makes me angry. I don't want God because he doesn't let me live out my perversion. I don't want God because God should, be, God should be my servant and I should be his God. And he should be my genie and he should do whatever I want. So I don't, I don't want God. Right? It doesn't matter. It's I don't want God. I walk away equals hell every time. Adam and Eve didn't want God. What did they want? To be God. They wanted to be on equal terms with God. Tell God what they liked and what they wanted. And so they got themselves in that mess. I just paused there because oftentimes we don't understand the scriptures. He stops, he moves on. We'll get back to it though. Let's keep going. Verse 13, or rather verse 31. 
It says he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds can come perch in its branches. Then he tells another parable. He said still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through. Now look at verse 34. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things since the creation of of the world. Isn't that awesome? I said, isn't that awesome? So now we can understand these because he actually tells the parable and gives the explanation within it. So let's understand the parable of the mustard seed. Go back to 31. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's small, it's planted, and then it becomes large. So what's the simple analogy there? That faith doesn't have to be big, but if we use it, it can become strong. It can become great. So the question isn't how much faith you have. It's what are you doing with the faith you have. That's the parable. Do you get it? You just learned something about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will never be based on all of these great things you can achieve for God. What it will be based on, what little you have, how you use it for God. Then the Bible says that little will increase to much, but you don't have to wait for much before you can do great. You can do great with little. You can do great with little. That's the parable of the mustard seed. Now go to the yeast. What is the answer to that? He says, it's like this woman who's baking bread, and she takes this yeast, and she mixes it into the 60 pounds of flour until it's worked this way all the way through. What does that mean? God wants to work his word all the way through your life. That's simple. It's simple. He gives us the explanation in it. It's like that. How do I know it's like that? Because that's how he explains it. That's how he explains it. He doesn't have to go into more depth as he has to do with the weeds and the wheat because there's too many things going on there. But here it's simple. If the yeast is the good thing for the dough and it's worked all the way through, what's the good thing in the kingdom of God? What has he been doing this whole time, especially in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, giving us his teachings? What did he just say that the seed was or the good thing that the sower is planting? He says the word of God in the parable he told us before that. So what does he want to work all the way through our lives? The word of God. Now go to verse 36. Then he left the crowd. So just understand, he tells the story about the weeds. He then goes and talks about the mustard seed. He then talks about the yeast, and he walks away. Look at what he does. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. Goodbye. I'm done. That's all I had to say. You might have caught the last two if you were paying attention, but you would have had no idea about the first one. Now his disciples came to him. Who came to him? The disciples came to him. So were they there just to be with the crowd, and when the crowd left, they left? No, the disciples stayed after the crowds left. Do you get that? See, that's why you have to come to church for you. I mean, I love that my wife and family came, come to church, but if they don't come, I'm still coming. 
I'm glad that my mom and dad go to church. But if my mom and dad don't go to church, I'm still coming. How many of you going to church no matter who doesn't? Amen. So church and God and learning, that's between you and him. Because on judgment day, you're not being judged with your family. You're not being judged with your children. You'll be judged on what you did with them. But you will be responsible for what you do. And I love the word. I love the word. How many love the word? Amen. So I love learning it. So I would be there. And I hope you would be there with me. How many would be there? Amen. So the crowd leaves. He goes into the, to his house. The disciples come. And what do they say? Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Now, I just want to apply this principle to the sassy part I just went through. Anytime you ask us for help, we're going to do our best to help you. We can't read your mind. We don't know when you need help with something. But if you ask for help, there will be someone there to help you. Help me understand about this. Okay, wonderful. We'll got a, we got a leader for you. They'll meet with you at such and such a time. How many have reached out to help and you've had somebody help you? Okay, amen. Does that mean I have to help you every time? No. But somebody did help you, right? So if you're only looking for me, then you're looking for me to be your Jesus. I am not your Jesus. There is one Jesus and I'm not him. Amen. So I am helping people in my sphere of influence, and I am doing a great job with them. They don't complain about me. Let me just tell you right now. So if you're complaining about me, it's because I'm not the one supposed to serve you. I can serve you, but I'm not that one because then I'll let you down, and then you'll get mad I let you down. Why didn't he answer my Facebook? Why didn't he answer my call? Because I told you from the very beginning I couldn't do that. You get my point? And then it's like now you're, it's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Pastor didn't give me his number. He's such a jerk, okay? So now I give, what, all 100 of you my number. I can't answer your call. Pastor, don't answer my calls. He's such a jerk. You guys get how silly that is? If you are an elder or deacon in this church, would you please stand up? If you are an elder or deacon, this is what I have given my life to. These people have my numbers. I'm discipling them. Their job is to disciple you. Do you guys understand that? This is the multiplication of the church. Come find one of them if you don't understand something in the Bible. If you need prayer at certain times of your life, if you want to go out on a prayer walk or you need encouragement, find one of them. And if they don't do a good job for you, write me at Pastor Berto at MetroPraiseInternational.com. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Let Pastor Berto know how they're all letting you down. Okay. So funny. I talk to grown men all the time, and they, and they have all these complaints. It's it's, and I don't, I don't know how it works with the ladies, but I, I hear this a lot with the men, and I, I'm literally listening to these men sound like babies, and I'm like, dear God, what is wrong with you, man? You know, you want you want another man to pursue you like you pursued your wife at export. Like Jared's number one job is not to call you up, do three Snapchats with you, and try to get, figure out your life every five seconds and ask you about your feelings. Jared is there when you need him. He'll call you up when the Lord puts you on his heart. But he's not there to do five Snapchats on your break to make sure you're living for Jesus today. If you living for Jesus is dependent upon doing a Snapchat with somebody every five minutes or to have some accountability, your walk with Jesus is broke. You broke with Jesus. I live for Jesus whether any of y'all live for Jesus. I don't need you calling me up every five minutes, sending me two verses and a smiley face, let me know you were thinking about me, help me to live for Jesus like I am some, some thumb-sucking baby. 
Now, you want to encourage me? Drop a line on Facebook on the public page. I'll see it on my Facebook. I'll put a little like. Thank you for that. Hey, that's fine. But I don't live or die by that. Are you listening? So the disciples, they said, I'm going to go get me some Jesus. They said, I'm going to go knock on that man's door. I'm following him until he puts a restraining order on me. Amen. You show up at Jared's house at 3 in the morning. Amen. You go show up at your disciples. You, you get so involved in their life that they have to say, dear God, have mercy. Because you have pursued what you wanted. You have gone after it. If someone has what you need, go after them and pursue it. I pursue my mentors. I pursue people that I need in my life. I pursue wisdom. I have over 500 books on my Kindle and 1,100 on my Logos software. I have almost 2,000 books. I am pursuing knowledge. I listen to anywhere between 5 to 10 podcasts a week, 10 to 14 hours of information. I am pursuing what I want. I'm going after a doctorate degree. Nobody wakes me up in the morning and says, Joe, do you? your homework. I am pursuing what I want. Get out there and get what you want. Because you didn't get a beer belly by accident either. That's what you wanted. You got out of shape into that shape because that's what you wanted. Come on, we got to be adults in this thing. Amen. And I've been there. And I've looked at the mirror and had nobody else to blame but the one staring back. I'm just here to encourage you. If you're always waiting for somebody, if you're always waiting for the next thing, the next person to be your best buddy in this church or the next uh, you know, conference or the next K-Love song to get you out of that funk, you are missing Christianity. Jesus is looking for people who are pursuing discipleship, pursuing his presence, pursuing learning, pursuing understanding, and they're hungry for it. We've already learned that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's never a time in your life when you are pursuing righteousness that you will not be filled. Do not wait for righteousness to pursue you. You pursue it. Can I hear an amen? Now here's the explanation. He said, the one who sowed the seed, the good seed, is the son of man. That's Jesus. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. How many are people of the kingdom? Amen. The weeds are the people of the evil one. Everybody say, El Diablo. Amen. Verse 39. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. I don't understand how preachers can never talk about hell, and Jesus talked about in every single chapter almost of the gospel. I'm not threatening you with it. I'm not saying this is a get-out-of-hell-free card. Love Jesus for Christianity's sake. Love, uh, love Jesus for Christ's sake, rather. Be a Christian for Christ's sake, not just because you don't want to go to hell, Okay? Love Jesus for Jesus' sake. If I don't love, like when I was uh, dating my wife, if I didn't love my wife, I wouldn't go to hell. You get that? I, I could have just not dated her. I could have dated somebody else. I do believe God had a chosen woman for me. But, I, you know, not loving her doesn't equal hell. 
I am not loving my wife today because I am afraid of hell. I am loving her because I made a choice before we were ever married that that's the one I want to pursue. That's the one I want to know more about. Come on. That's the one I want to wake up next to in the morning. And I'm not loving Jesus just because I'm afraid of the devil, afraid of going to hell. That's the one I want to wake up with every morning, spend my life with, get to know him, and hear his heart for me. So you've got to look at Jesus in a relational sense. I'm not just doing this because I don't want to go to hell. I'm doing this because I love him. And the Bible says, verse 41, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. That's why a lot of people say, well, why doesn't God just get rid of evil? Okay, he'll start with you then. Are you ready to be thrown into hell, to the trash bin of eternity? The only reason why God hasn't done away with evil yet is because, because he wants to get the evil out of you and get the evil out of me. I thank God he didn't throw out the trash November 4th, 1995 and come back because I would have been there with a whole lot of you. Are you listening? I'm glad he was long-suffering. That's what Peter says. He is not forgetting about judgment. He is just long-suffering because he wishes none to perish. Hallelujah, he's, he's patient with us. Please let us not be rushing to judgment yet. Too many on Devon still need to be told about the gospel. We were there yesterday. yesterday. It was wonderful preaching the gospel to Muslims and Hindus. Too many in the high school still don't know him. Too many in our politics don't know him. Too many of your friends and family don't know him. Dear God, give us more time to preach your gospel. So he's going to weed them out. And I don't want to be there when he does. I want to be on his good side. Verse 42, he says, they, they will throw them, talking about the angels, into the blazing furnace. Look at how he describes hell. He will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why are they gnashing their teeth? Because they're regretting what they did. They now know I messed up. I should have listened to God not been a weed of the devil. But look, in, look at the glorious description of heaven. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Look at your neighbor and say, listen to this. Thank you. Do you have ears to hear this? You either get pulled up like weeds and thrown into the fire, or you get gathered into God and glorified in his presence. How beautiful that day will be when the sons and daughters of God shine as bright as the sun. He said, you are the light of the world. He said, don't hide your life now. Leave and let it shine now. So just a couple things about this parable now that we put it all together. The idea is even good people will have enemies in their life. Can I hear an amen to that? Does anybody have enemies? Come on, does anybody got frenemies? They act like your friend, but they really not. <laughs> Anybody got haters up in here? Well, you know what? Just because you got haters and enemies doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Jesus has haters and enemies. What does the parable say? The man did his part, planted the good seed. He did his part. He didn't do anything wrong. See, sometimes we get superstitious and we say, oh, if somebody's got enemies or somebody doesn't like them, maybe they did something wrong. 
Now, I do think those can be indications, if not enemies, but godly people are correcting and rebuking you. If there's a trail of mess following you, chances are you're messy. But the principle here is not you being messy and getting what you deserve. It's the idea of you do everything right. The Son of God did everything right. He picked the right ground. He picked the right seed. He planted it there. He watered it. He made sure it got sunshine. But then an enemy came along. And put his agents, his weeds in that, in that field. I was talking to an elder of a great church in this city, and I'm going to leave it anonymous because I don't want him to feel I'm talking about his business. But I was talking to an elder in my town, and he shared with me about how they started a campus out there with this young pastor, and he was radical, and he was preaching, and man, everybody was coming in that, in that area, in that neighborhood. But then he started to mess up, and the pastor tried to clean it up and ask him to move out, to step down of the ministry, out of the ministry, get help. But he didn't want to do it. And before the pastor could tell the story to the other people, he was going around whispering to everybody. So by the time this great man of God came with his elders to sit down to try to work it out, that guy was gone, and he took people with him talking to this elder this week on my, uh, my anniversary date, saw him at Dunkin' Donuts. I said, what happened then? He said he started a new church, made it look sexy, made it look cool. So I even went and I watched the video promotion of this dude of his new church. Oh, and you should hear how it went. This new church we're starting is so awesome. He's speaking to the camera. We're not judgmental. We're not going to judge you. He said, none of us here have perfect marriages. Nobody is perfect. I don't even, I'm not even a good husband at times. If you're looking for a church where you could just be yourself, come here. Now that I understood the story, and my wife, she said it just made her want to puke. So I started to talk to him, and I said, what did you do and I, because I know his pastor, and if you know me, I only have about two favorite pastors in this city. I respect a lot of them, but I have two favorites. This is one of my favorites. I said, what did your pastor do? He said, it broke his heart, but he went to the people that would listen. And he said, trust me, you don't want to do this. I said, how did it work? He said, for most part, the good people stayed. A lot of them still went. I said, how long has it been since they got over that? He said, oh, it's been about eight months. And I began to think to myself, if great people can have division in their church like this pastor with thousands of members, if it could happen, why can't it happen in our lives, in my life, in this church? If great people leave, uh, if bad people leave great people, then how do I guarantee you you'll never have people leave you? Not every divorce is because... Uh, the Christian in the family did the wrong thing. Sometimes people turn non-Christian and break the Christian's heart. You're going to face in times in your life division, people leaving you, people hurting you, and it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It will break your heart. You will wish you could stop the bleeding. But at those times, you need to trust the good seed that the Son of Man has sown around you and stick with those who want to stick with you. So I said, what's it like now in your church? He said, we got a new pastor on that campus, the better, better than it's ever been. Church is growing. Church is phenomenal. And now what have I done? I've just hit my countdown clock to when this church over here explodes because I've seen it too many times. I've seen it with my friends because those who have a pattern of sin, it just follows them. 
and it hurts the people around them. And he said, it's been about two years, and we've already had some people that left begin to start coming back because they began to see the grass wasn't greener. This person didn't know how to live in integrity. And even though it was cool to live in a non-judgment zone, everybody do what you want, they weren't growing spiritually. Isn't that something? I heard all of that Thursday. And I thought to myself, God has a way of speaking to his people. I just ran right into him. And I began to read this parable, and I said, Dear God, thank you for this, because I know this is happening on Judgment Day. I know. But doesn't it happen in our lives? And what do we do when people leave us? Because some of you are godly saints and your spouse has left you. Some of you are godly parents. You did everything you knew right. And when you didn't, you repented, but your children still walked away. And many of us, we then blame ourselves. We become superstitious. We say, well, if, if, if there's weeds in my garden, that must mean there's, uh, there's something I did wrong. And God is saying, there's weeds in my garden. <laughs> hey, this is his garden, y'all. What is the planet Earth to Jesus? His garden. And he's saying, I've got weeds in my garden, and they're breaking my heart too. So next time you got to go visit baby daddy or baby mama, or next time you got to pick up that check from that job that fired you because somebody lied on you, or next time you see somebody that's left the church the wrong way, or the next time you see your child who's living in sin and you know they're not right, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Love them and hope that they're ready for this day, because if they don't change, God's going to rid the earth of them. And I truly pray for those pastors that have done that or those people. I pray for those who have left here the wrong way. I pray for all of my enemies, my frenemies, and my haters to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to live for him. Amen? Whoever's got ears, let them hear. Let's go on now to the next one. Aren't you enjoying church today? Uh, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Dude, that is pretty awesome if you take a moment to think about that. So just imagine one day you're going for a walk in your neighborhood and you just spot like a little bit of gold coming out of your neighbor's yard. Okay, just imagine that. You see a little bit of gold and you kind of just poke around there and you're like, man, it's about this much of gold. You know, you kind of get a sense of where it's at. So you kind of just, you kind of take the dirt, put it on top, you know, nobody see it. And then you go to your neighbor, neighbor. Want to sell me your house? This is the parable. Some of you are like, Jesus is slick. Oh, yeah. Jesus is slick. There's no lie. There is no, show me a lie in here. There is no lie. What has been done wrong here? Not one thing. Here's what we're supposed to get from this is that if you don't know what's in your field, God will send somebody else to know what's in your field and get it. Jesus said, if you don't use it, you lose it, it's going to somebody else. So why weren't you looking around in your yard? Why weren't you looking around at what was going on? And by the way, this is not an excuse to cheat on wives or anything like that, okay? That man don't treat that woman right. I'm going to go out with sister so-and-so. But she's married. Oh, he don't appreciate her like I do. No, I'm going to be very clear. This is not sin. 
What this is talking about is you not appreciating what God has given you and someone coming right up going, oh, oh, you don't want the gift? You don't want to be on the worship team? I'll be on the worship team. And then we release an album and you're wondering why you're not on it. Come on. You know, you have the gift to be able to sell things. You, you quit your job because you get, you know, tired on the job. Somebody says, well, I'll sell things. And then that company blows up. You can't hate it. You didn't use it. You lose it. And so what he does is he goes, hey, man. I'll sell, I'll buy this field from you. And the guy goes, well, it's only worth about this much. Cool, deal, deal, right there. I'll, you got it, 100000 you got it. And then here he goes, and he picks up this big gold thing. Look what I got. That's a parable of your Lord and Savior Jesus. I hope you like Jesus' stories. But the Bible says one, one part here we can't miss. For him to make that transaction, this person had to sell everything they have. So if it was 100000 he was like, man, all I got is 100000 So he was willing to lay it all on the line to get that greater treasure, to make that investment. Let's go to verse 45. Again, are you guys tired of Jesus talking about the kingdom? Come on. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. He found one of great value. He went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So just in case Jesus offended you with teaching you how to be shrewd, he goes, let me just tell it to you another way, but leave out the fact of a man doing it on somebody else's field. He said, it's like you finding something very, very valuable, and then you sell everything you have to get it. I do believe the shrewdness should be a part of our life because the Bible teaches shrewdness is a good thing. But what do I think we get here as a difference between the other one is that the Bible says he was looking he was looking. See, the first one, it says he found a treasure. The other one, it says he was looking. Do you get the difference? Remember, I was giving the example. You're just walking through the neighborhood, and you find it. It wasn't like you were looking for it, but you found it. So that means somebody else could have found it, and that's why it's okay to be shrewd, because you're the one that's going to act on what you found. But what's the other one teach us? The man was looking. Man, where is the greatest pearl? Where is the greatest pearl? Is it over here? Okay, let's go check out. Let me see your pearls. Oh, that's not the greatest. Is it over here? Oh, that's not the greatest. Is it over there? Let me go check it. Oh, that's the greatest. That's the greatest. Listen, I'm going to come back to you, but first I got to go sell everything I have to come get that. How do we get the gospel out of that? How do we get the analogy there for us? It's you not only need to find and be ready to stumble upon things and make the most of opportunities when they come, but you need to be looking for them. You need to be looking for God moments. Sometimes you might just sit on the bus, somebody's sitting next to you, and they're just like, man, today's a terrible day. You need to find that treasure, start preaching the gospel, be ready for it. Other days you need to sit on the bus and be like, who can I talk to? Which one? Which one? Which one? Which one? Where's my treasure on this bus right now? Some things you will find, other things you will stumble upon. You need to search for some things, and other things be ready when you stumble upon them. The next thing that he says in uh, uh, verse 47 it says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They then sat down and collected the good fish. Somebody say good fish. Thank you, good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. What did they do with it? They threw the bad away. Verse 49. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into bla the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Dude, how much more serious could Jesus talk about hell? He just talked about hell a few moments ago when he talked about the weeds and the wheat, didn't he? 
And he says, this is the way it's going to be. Now he tells you another one that's almost identical. Instead of weeds and wheat, it's bad fish, good fish. But what's something here that we can add to the, to the learning here? The Bible says that the net draws them in, and then the angels separate them into baskets based on being good or bad. Good or bad. So this means it's our choice to what kind of fish we are. It's not somebody else's choice because in the first parable, it's almost like it says the evil planted, uh, the evil one planted them. So you might walk away going, well, if I'm evil, it's because I'm evil. I can't do anything about it. Who am I to fight the devil? The devil's so much bigger than me. He just made me evil. If God wants me to stop being evil, then why doesn't he make me good? Some may say fatalism. You see, if you're not careful, you can read the first one and just think it's just about fatalism. Good, bad, good, bad. So God's going eeny, meeny, miny, mo. pick a sinner, buy it so. If I don't like him, I'll let him go into fire. There he goes or something. You, know, you could think that, that's how it is. But that's not how it is. This parable now clarifies it. It's good and bad. And what makes wicked and righteous, according to the scripture, your choices? The first choice is to be born again, accept Jesus as your Savior, repent of sins, and then to live out your life in righteousness. Evil is to say you're your own God, you don't need God, you're going to go a different way. And so the idea is here is that it's up to you. Do you want to be a good fish or a bad fish? What kind of fish do you want to be? A good fish. Now look at verse 51. I love Jesus. Have you understood all these things, Jesus said? Yes, they replied. How did they know these things? Because they hung around them. And shouldn't that be what good leaders do? Isn't that what a good church does? I was using Jared as an example. Isn't that Jared's heart when he's teaching 201 or your discipler like Juan and Yulis? Aren't they asking you as they're discipling you, hey, do you get it? Do I, do I need to go back over it? Do you want to see it again in a different way? Do you want to look at it in another, another gospel? Okay, what are your questions? You see, there's nothing wrong with stopping and understanding better by asking questions or talking about your doubts or even saying, I don't get it. Jesus is a great teacher. He'll do this again multiple times. One of them that just comes to my mind is when he asks his disciples, who do you, or rather he starts off saying, who do men say that I am? Then they give him all the answers. And he says, who do you say that I am? So he's always making sure they're getting the information. I hope today that you hear our heart isn't to push you away and make you feel unimportant. Our heart is to stop. That's why we do discipleship. Stop in the middle of the week, pause our lives, and go, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you understand what God is doing? Because we're going to get to the last thing here. All of these things we've already learned are so important in the kingdom of God. Let's review before we get to the last one of what the kingdom of God is like. And you can scroll back up too, please. Well, the parable of the weeds and the wheat... That means the kingdom of God is like good versus evil. And the Bible says you got to be prepared to have enemies in life. What does the parable of the mustard seed teach us? Is that you don't got to wait till you're great to do great things. Just use the little you have to do great things for God, starting with your faith. What's the parable of the yeast teach us? Let God's word go through every part of your life like yeast goes through dough. What's the next parable? The parable of the hidden treasure. Be ready for what God has in your life so when you find it, when you stumble upon things, you're ready to take advantage of opportunities. 
Number five, what's it like when, you're, when, when, the, when the guy's looking for the pearl? You have to be on the search for precious things in your life. Go after things and do whatever it takes to get those things in your life, whether it's study more, to read your word more, to build better friendships, sell everything to have the plan of God in your life. Amen? And then the one we just went over, it's up to you whether or not you're a good fish or a bad fish. That's up to you because all of us are in God's pond, in other words, and we will be separated by that wicked or righteous standard. And then lastly, the Bible says, in, in a, and let me just say, say like this, he's going to say it a little bit differently, but it's still a parable because watch, verse 52. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a, excuse me, he said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out his storeroom, uh, brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So he ties it right into the lesson of, do you understand what I'm saying? And they go, yes. And he goes, great, because the kingdom of heaven is like teachers who are disciples going into their treasure chest in their house and bringing it out to you. Oh, I just wish we could get this. Every time you are around the word of God, it is a treasure. And you have to be willing to receive it, to appreciate it. Some people don't appreciate it. The Bible is saying here, when you're around the Word of God and those who are teaching it in life groups, it's like literally going to Bill Gates' house. And he's like, you think this mansion is something? You haven't seen anything. Come to my room. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop. He goes into his safe, and he pulls out the most valuable thing, and he says, this is the treasure that I value the most. When you hang around Jesus, you hang around his disciples, when you're listening to those who are teaching it, you don't just get the surface level. You're not just in the house. You get to go to the storeroom where the treasure is. And here's the good part, because look at what it says. Every teacher of the law, and that means God's word, becomes like this. So guess what, guys? You don't stay here just on Sunday being the receiver, looking at all my little pre uh, precious treasures. You get to go out this week and go, hey, come on over, neighbor. Hey, come on over, neighbor. Let me show you some treasures. Come on over, coworker. Let me take you out to lunch. Let me show you some treasures. You get to be the one now that pulls up, you know, in the Lamborghini and goes, man, come on. Let's go in this because you carry now the treasures. How many want to have a storeroom full of treasures Amen. To give to those in your life. Those are the seven things the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is God's active rule and reign in our hearts with Jesus Christ as Lord. He told us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there is supposed to be a transfer of kingdom rulership from heaven to earth every day. We're not supposed to be overcome with evil. We're to overcome evil with good. And now what you will hear will tie in together everything we started off with, that sassy part especially, because watch this. Let's end it out here. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his own hometown, he began teaching the people in the synagogue, in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get his wisdom and all these miraculous powers from? They asked, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? 
By the way, James and Jude are the two authors of the books, James and Jude in the Bible. That's so cool. It's named right there. Verse 56, aren't all his sisters with us? When did this, when, where did rather this man get all these things? So this shows you that Jesus, uh, Mary wasn't a perpetual virgin, virgin. He actually had brothers and sisters that Mary and Joseph had together. Where did he get all of these things? But look at verse 57, and they took offense at him. It's almost like it doesn't follow, does it? It's like he comes to his hometown. Everybody's like, Jesus is here. We know his mother. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. How did he get to be so wise? Last time we saw him, he was just hitting nails with a hammer. Now he's blowing us all away with his wisdom. And he's, you know, doing miracles. Why does it say, oh, and by the way, they took offense at him. Because everything that you think about Jesus that will draw people to Jesus, if it's not his character, will just be an offense to them. Because Jesus is not here just to do miracles. Jesus is not just here to give you a new house. Jesus is not just here to give you new fortune cookies to compete with Buddhas in the, in the, you know, the Asian restaurant you go to. No, Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So what was the problem? The miracles? Nope, they were cool with it. The wisdom? Nope, they were cool with it. Was it that he had a good family? Nope, they were cool with all that. It's that he asked them to follow him as their Lord and Savior. People go to church. People will share things on Facebook, scriptures and Bible verses and, you know, what preachers say. People will go to conferences. People will do all of that, which is even pray for miracles. Will Jesus be the Lord of their life? Because if you get down to it, I meet a lot of Christians, quote, unquote, that get offended by Jesus' teachings. We have literally had people in this church that I have watched and seen it with my own eyes. They have posted up scriptures like the one we just read where the wicked will be thrown into hell and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And they'll say just whatever, you know, do, you know listen to Jesus, do, it, do the right thing, otherwise you'll get here. And people will say, I disagree with that. And I've watched it with my own eyes. And literally, they will highlight the portion and say, what part of this do you disagree with, the portion of the Scripture? And then they'll say the wicked and all of this. And they're like, that's the Bible. And they will still say, I have watched this on Facebook. I still disagree. How is it people in our culture, think about it, how is it people in our culture can have the audacity to call themselves a Christian but literally disagree with Jesus, for the same exact reason these people saw the miracles in person, saw the 5,000 fed, even knew his family, knew he was awesome in, in what he did. Offense, why? Because there's nothing in Jesus' works or in his family life or in his teachings that will take away his offense about heaven and hell unless you make him the Lord of your life. Because there is not one person here that wants to be told, you're not in charge. All of us, come on, let's be honest, want to be in charge. What's the worst thing about slavery is it takes away the ability for you to be in charge. Rape and all of those things that happen afterwards, why do we look at that as like the worst thing possible? Because you have human autonomy, and a part of that's a gift of God. You should be able to determine where you are at a certain time and who you, you have intimate relationships with. And so when somebody violates that the wrong way, everything all goes off on the inside of us. But the devil's so slick now, he gets us to think that Jesus is actually the rapist. Jesus is the sadistic one. Jesus is the kidnapper. Jesus is the big meanie in heaven that says, if you don't do it my way, then I'll just burn you alive for eternity. 
and they miss the whole purpose. Why do they take offense at him? Because they don't know him. They know his miracles, but they don't know him. They know his words, but they don't know him. They have seen his family, but they don't know him. Let me ask you a question. Do you know him? Because Jehovah's Witnesses got a Bible, but they don't know him. Many, many Christians have a Bible, but they don't know him. Come on, somebody. Mormons peddling around. They got a Bible. What's the difference between them and real disciples? Is real disciples know the real Jesus. That's why the real Jesus doesn't offend them. That's why the real Jesus is not an offense to them or an offense to us. Because we'll take all of Jesus, not just the parts we like of Jesus. Because it's almost like Jesus, just go back to telling us nice things like love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, heal the old women. Stop talking about you being our Lord and Savior. That's, that's too much. They took offense at him. What does Jesus say back? A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own house. Can I encourage you with this? Sometimes the closest people to you will reject you the most. They will not get you because they will say, you don't get to say that to me. You bother me when you say it. Oh, Pastor Joe, he's cool when he says it. But when you say it, that gets on my nerves. Why? Because they don't see me every day. They see you and you convict them. You see, they don't know my past. They know your past, and they've seen the miracle of how God has changed you, but they want to hold you to that past. They wanted to hold Jesus to just being that dumb carpenter boy over here. They didn't want him to start popping off miracles and walking on water saying, I'm the Lord of the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath. And so people will not love you. There will be some who will say, I don't love you as a saint, but I liked you as a sinner. Come on, somebody. They'll say, I love it when you cuss, but I hate it when you preach. I liked it when you got drunk with me, but I don't like it when you tell me I'm drunk. Why? Because they are convicted by who you are. And, and that's a good thing. Go back to the other scripture. That's a good thing. You didn't do anything wrong to deserve that because they did that to Jesus. And as Rachel comes, this is probably the saddest verse. Well, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Look at verse 58. It says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their what? Their lack of faith. Do you know that there's something God can't do? There's a lot of things, really, but in this portion, you know, God can't lie. God can't steal, right? Those are, those are a lot of things God can't do. God can't contradict himself. God can't break his word. But do you know what Jesus would not do? He would not move unless people believed. And he could not get them to believe without violating their will. So it says literally that he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. If Jesus won't turn you into a robot to make you serve him, how much more so is he not going to give you that program to make your wife love you or to make your children love you? You don't get that program either, that code, you know. He, he didn't just say, hey, well, forget you. Beep, beep, boop, boop, boop. Love me. And they all just start jumping up and down. We love you, Jesus. We don't know why we're jumping, but we do, and we love you. You know, he, If Jesus doesn't get that code and use it for his own purpose because he gave us free will, he's not going to give it to you or I. 
That, that means when I go to Devon Street and I'm talking about Jesus and I'm preaching, people can walk right by if they want. It's not like I can force them to come back. You can't force people to live for Jesus. I can't force you to live for Jesus. But what we can do is we can do the opposite of these guys, these people, and we can have faith. You see how it all ties together now? I want the best for you. I really do. I love you. I enjoy pastoring. This is the biggest our church has ever been. Thank you for doing what you do for God here. I am so grateful for that. But I want to tell you, I can't make you do this. So as we're going through the book of Matthew, especially on a chapter like this, when we're learning about the kingdom of God, you do it for your sake between you and your God. You get the faith. You get the obedience. You let your heart be like good, good word, uh, a good uh, ground for the word to go. You let God be your everything like yeast. Go through your heart. You let, you let God draw you in because you're doing the right things. You let God use you. And that's what I'm going to do. So here's, here's how I want to end. If you could scroll down, please. One of the most important things God wanted you to know was about his kingdom so you could be ready for it to come to earth. That's our job now. I ask you seriously as your pastor, what is more important than the kingdom of heaven? When I watch people come by me, you know, because I actually get to have church out there on the streets, and I get to, you know, see people who don't love me and respect me like you do, what they really think about God. I get to, you know, hear their thoughts because they'll speak them out loud, you know. What I'll say to them every now and then is as they walk by, and they're like, nah, I don't got time for that. I go, I'll give you all the cash in my wallet if you can tell me one subject more important than God. Give me one subject we should be talking about here that's important, than, more important than God, and I'll give you all the money in my wallet. Sometimes they'll stop and look back and be like, oh, I really don't know one. Then they'll just go, you know, but it gets them to stop sometime. Because if you think about it, literally, what is more important than the kingdom of heaven? Like, what, what could we possibly be doing right now that's more important than that? In the parable, this is literally God's garden. Like, we're in his garden. We are, we are right now here, and we're supposed to do something with this world. And he's given us all these parables, and those who listen get to understand them. And that's why we were teaching them today. And now it's up to you. It's like, man, do I want to do this? Praise God. And I just... I just want to end in prayer. Father, help us to do this. I will start with me today, Father, on my knees. Show me whatever areas of my life that I am not doing good in. Because it's about your kingdom today, Father. Just across this room right now, any of these parables that spoke to your life, just start to pray them through right now to make them realities. Is there anybody here that's got a lot of enemies in your life and it discourages you? Ask God to keep you. Is there anybody here that needs yeast to go through your whole life? Come on, pray through them. Look over them again, even at your own Bible. Maybe you just have a little bit of faith and you don't think you can do anything. Ask God to use that little bit to be like a mustard seed. Oh, God, show us your kingdom. Start in our families. Oh, God, move through our lives and our everyday lives, oh, God. I pray for every person here, Jesus. 
I pray for everyone here to listen, to follow you. Give them opportunities. Set before us your path so that we can know it every day. May we not get discouraged when others don't want it. May we stay true to your word. Oh, Jesus, even if people don't honor us, is there anybody here going through dishonor? You just don't feel honored anymore, or you're being uh, disrespected in your family job or places you go because you serve Jesus, you do the right things. God, I, I pray for those here who are being dishonored like the way you were, for them not to give up, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we'll all have treasures to share with this world. Just with your eyes closed in a moment of prayer here, can you use your imagination and think of people today you want to share your treasures with? There are so many of you here that you, you get these messages. I watch you, man. I see you on Facebook. I watch your posts, and I hear stories from the life groups and things. So many of you are being fruitful out there. I just want you to imagine what it's going to be like in this next season with the people you're ministering to, with the ones God's using you to touch. Let God show you some big dreams this year. Summer is the time when it starts to grow in the natural, the fields start to grow. They'll say corn should be knee high in July. I am praying that for you guys so that by the time summer is over and harvest comes around October, November, this church won't even have room because your friends, my friends and family are here. Just a few more moments. Use us, God. God, we can't change hearts. We can't do it. We, we can't, Lord. You didn't even do it that way by force. But, Lord, we can show them. We can love them. We can give them the opportunity. And, God, then you will do what only you can do. And that's change once they ask for it. Do you know that God won't even change a heart until they ask for it? Would you pray right now for some people to ask for it, that their eyes will be open, that God will give them more opportunities, that more, more people like you will come into their lives? I love meeting people on the streets, and they say, my mom's been praying for me. Yeah, she told me all about this. And I just like say to myself, awesome, Jesus. Thank you for letting me be an answer to a mama's prayer out here today. Come on, few moments, few moments. The kingdom of heaven is coming. It's coming. It's going to fully be here. We can't stop it. It's like a train. It's, it's coming all the way at the end of the age. But right now, it's, it's coming in pieces. It's coming in families. It's coming in hearts, individuals. Who wants it today? Who wants it for their friends? Who wants it for their family? A few moments, few moments, few moments can change our lives for a lifetime. Altar workers, would you come? Band, would you come? We're going to close out in just a, a little bit here, but I just feel God in this, man. I mean, how could we talk about it and not get touched by it? I sense some of you are just wanting to be encouraged today. As we get ready to stand up to pray, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, come up. They'll help you come to Christ. They'll teach you how to pray if you've never been taught. But if you're here today and you've already been a Christian for a while, but you're kind of discouraged and you're feeling like, man, I heard all of this and I believe it, but I just need encouragement. I'm going to ask you to just do what we talked about before. You pursue one of these people, man. Come up to a disciple. Let them pray for you. Get their number. 
Don't leave out here without pursuing this if you need it. Dear God, please don't let them leave, Lord, the same way they came. In the name of Jesus, can we stand up and give it up for him today, our Lord and Savior? We're not offended. We love you, Jesus. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. All honor and glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Gloria a Dios. Jesus Cristo es el Señor. Hallelujah. Woo! We want your kingdom, Jesus. We're going to be like those disciples where if there's not even room in the house, we're going to tear off the roof to be close to you. Oh, like Peter said, where else can we go, Jesus? If you need prayer, come on up before we go quickly. Just come on up. The band's going to lead us in worship, and we'll close in prayer in just a moment. But if you need prayer for anything, come on up. Don't be ashamed. Come get you some. Come on. Jesus. There's no one like our Jesus. God bless those who are coming, but I know there's more. Come on, get in the kingdoms.